0: Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus 20. Exodus chapter 20. This morning we are going to begin a 11-week journey in the study of the 10 commandments. So I'm building in an extra week because this morning I want to talk to you about why they're so important. And why so early on in Israel's history, did God choose to give His people a a system of, of living, rules as it were, that have not only guided Israel and meant to guide Israel, but when we study world cultures all throughout history, did you know that almost every moral system and every every uh, culture's ability to to have these rules and that's exemplified in in their own way can be traced back to the rules that God put in place for civilization? Right here, next Exodus is twenty. When we hear the title, the the Ten Commandments, you probably think about the display in the courtyard. Maybe the the old displays that were up on the wall of the school. Some of you may even think about Charlton Heston. I don't know. But you cannot deny their influence. We've learned them early on in Sunday school. We gave prizes to children who can memorize them. But it was a Dutch theologian who once said, many have found in these precepts the basis for their Christian ethics, convinced as they were that Jesus Christ has not set aside these commandments but rather has taught them to us in their fullest depth. And I believe that. I believe that when Christ came, He showed us what these commandments meant. Why they're still important. And why we would do well as a culture, as a church, as an individual. Why every single one of these commandments are important and should be observed in our life. My goal in this series is to go beyond what we uh, can fondly acknowledge and and see through them through the lenses of Jesus. I I want to see, and and if I can communicate, His fulfillment of the law is our ability to live these rules in new and better ways. In short, we just need to be reminded that God is a, a God of law, in order. He is a, a God who has decreed that we act a certain way. That there are certain rules and limitations to every single culture and when that culture abandons His system of living, We abandon Him. We, I think, abandon sense. We abandon respect for God and for ourselves. Maybe, perhaps, the abandonment of God's decrees may represent. Cultural insanity. Choosing to go our own way. So, we're going to begin at the beginning. That's always a good place, isn't it? I want to apologize first. I may seem scatterbrained today. I've just not had a good week. And you probably ha- you haven't either. I've been bothered all week. I have been grieving all week. I've learned some things about us. I've learned that we've been playing it safe. I've learned that we've just assumed that things would be okay and we can just sit and everything will be alright. I read something this week I think it was a profound statement. If We teach children to sit still in church they'll do the same thing when they get older. Maybe and I'm not saying that we are to blame per se for what a Supreme Court ruling was, but perhaps by us sitting still, we've learned that our influence is not what it was. That we have been too consumed on conveniences. We've been too consumed to have our own preferences in our lives. And when our preferences are not met, We'll get angry, we'll get upset with whoever, maybe even ourselves, and we'll go seek to meet those somewhere else. And it bothers me. It bothers me that that I believe we're seeing the church abandon truth in a way that we've never experienced in a long, long time. We are such in an age of convenience and in an age where we are used to just getting our own way that we think that's the normal. And not that I think God has a sense of humor because I don't think He finds any of this stuff funny. But I... I actually had planned to preach this series months ago and the leading of the Lord kind of rearranged my schedule, my preaching schedule, and I wanted to massage that out a little bit and I just find it ironic that I am preaching what should be and actually what is confessed to be the basis of our own culture, American culture, and yet this week we found that it's been torn to shreds. Uh, years ago, visiting our nation's capital, I'm sitting in the, the gallery of the United States House of Representatives. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but it's a spectacular experience. My wife and I were able to watch um, lawmakers do their thing. That was an incredible experience. And all around the the chamber of the House of Representatives, you have these marble or granite, I don't know what they're made of, but they're stone nonetheless, of these busts of different individuals who were crucial to the founding of our country and our history. And if you were to stand, I didn't because I would have been arrested, but if I tried to stand where the Speaker of the House would stand... And you look straight back, go down the aisle, at back wall there, and you lift your eyes almost eye level. Because you can see it from the gallery. The very center of the chamber, there's a marble bust. And we all know who it is because it's, it's displayed there. It's Moses. And so, yeah, it's it's bothered me. And I, I'm just going to ask that, number one, give me your attention. I wish I could be more fluent and more eloquent with words and, and just kind of capture your attention the whole time, but I'm not that good. But, but number two, I, I, I just want to be so bold and ask you to change or at least to consider it, if you don't mind. Consider the fact that maybe we've been mourning our way far too long. That, That maybe what we've been concerned about won't matter a hill of beans in eternity. We've been focused on the wrong things. And maybe, just maybe, if we get back to the business of the church, God would have mercy on us. I'm just kind of convinced. R.G. Lee, a well-known Southern Baptist evangelist, preached his most well-known sermon called Payday Someday. I think we forget there will be a payday someday. None of this stuff is free. Well, enough of um, chasing a rabbit introduction. I want us to get to the text. Let's stand together. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 of Exodus 20. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. He brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Father, I pray that you would make uh, my mind and my, my mouth, uh, my heart, all work in conjunction for your glory and to be an adequate representative of the Word of God today. Father, that you would uh, just, just uh, go far beyond my words and my preparation and that, Lord, you speak and challenge, convict us, God, Father, I pray that you would put our toes right on the line, right on the verge of the next great awakening of this country. Father, we've enjoyed milk and honey for far too long. And Father, I pray that you would uh, just speak to us, Lord. That's all I can say. Just speak to us. Use me, Lord, as your vessel. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, yeah, um, that's a really snazzy sermon title, right? An introduction. That's all it is. But I think it's important. I think it's important for us to consider the words that, that the Lord Himself gave to us before He gave us what is affectionately known. We, we've, we've had it called by theologians as the Decalogue, meaning the very first ten statements of law that God gave. The law was much longer than these first ten statements. Yes, we all know that. But these first ten statements constitute uh, th- th- this these uh, uh, this... Really, uh, barrier, uh, maybe, maybe a fence around all that we know about humanity, our our relationship to God, His relationship to us, and then our also all of our relationship w- with with one another. And if we don't consider how this decalogue begins, I think we'll miss some things about why they were important. The first two words. I think, speak volumes and could preach all on their own. First three words, and God spoke. A couple Sundays ago, I walked y'all through uh, the uh, the Psalm 23. And I talked to you about how important it was in theology that it begins with God. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And if we begin with God, we'll get our theology correct. Because if we begin with God in everything relative to man and our relationship to him, by and large, you'll get it correct. If we begin with the understanding that God gave us a system by which our culture ought to live, and we first understand that it began by the Lord himself, I'm talking about the creator of the universe, he spoke it into existence. Man did not create. Our rules for culture. It began with Him. We ought to be thankful every single day that we serve a God who speaks. He is a God who will communicate to us. Do you realize that today He is communicating to us? With Israel, it was by divine appointments Theodicies, we called them. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it was through the person of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. In the New Testament church, it's by His Holy Spirit. There's always been a portion of the Godhead interacting with creation. And he says, verse 2, I don't know if he had any option. I'm going out on a limb here, but I don't think he had an option for what we call verse 2. I think this is where he had to begin. He declared who he was. I am Lord your God. Now what's interesting here, these words... I talk about it on Wednesday a lot when when we've done a Revelation study. And I talk about how English translations just don't capture everything that's happening in the original. In the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew. And there's a word play going on here that we don't always see it. We have the word I am and then the word Lord. Now, there's one word being used for I am, translated, I am. The next word is Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. Yahweh. No vowels in it, just Yahweh. Do you know what that word means? I am. I am. I am. God is declaring that all of reality all of conscious reality, every it starts with Him. I am. Our concepts of time, our concepts of everything, our concepts of relationships, it begins with an I am. You don't get it without an I am. And then Jesus was so bold to tell us on multiple occasions in His earthly ministry, I we serve a living Savior who is God Himself. That's what got him into trouble. God comes first. You see, He says, I am the Lord your God, but to who? Is He saying it to us? Well, in this text right now, in this reading, in this sermon, well, yes. But in the context of this text, he's actually not talking to you or me. He's talking to his people, Israel. He is talking to his nation. Israel is his by right of creation, but also redemption. We see that demonstrated here. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So we know who he's talking about. He brought him out of the house of slavery. But listen, We know that this text also applies to us because the scriptures declare by the apostle Paul that we have been bought with a price. We now are His possession. God's people, and Pauline theology declares this in the book of Romans, as the church, New Testament speaking, we are engrafted branches into what's called that olive tree, that symbolic piece of vegetation that, 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 that is used to illustrate Israel. We are now engrafted with Him. So just as much as, this is, uh, as He's de- declaring possession of Israel, He is possessing us. We've been bought with a price. Paul said, it is, You're not your own. You're not your own. In other words, sometimes that liberty that we enjoy is stolen liberty. Sometimes we act free in areas where we really aren't free. Paul mentioned and, and taught about it uh, brilliantly in his epistles, that we are not to abuse our freedoms. We don't abuse our liberty. You may be free to do it on paper. But it's not wise for you or your soul to follow through. As a matter of fact, verse 2 is so powerful of a statement. Did you know that the Orthodox Jew counts this as... Commandment number one. We don't technically start until verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. The Orthodox Jew says that this statement right here is so declarative of who God is and what He did to us. This is where our commands begin. Now what is there of a command? Theologians debate that. That's why... We traditionally have not recognized verse two as commandment number one. Well, because directly speaking, there really isn't a command per se. But what the what the Jew is talking about is listen, there is a declarative statement. I am that I am. That's, a, that's enough for us. God is introducing himself as a as a liberator. And we can't overlook this. He is introducing himself as a person who will set you free free. Now, that's saying something to us. It's implying that we are not free. It's implying to us that apart from God, we are held captive. That's what it's implying. You say, well, I live in the good old U.S. of A., land of the free, home of the brave. That's not the kind of freedom he's talking about. I talk to people all the time who are free politically, but upon closer examination of their life, their lifestyle and their lives, their attitudes and their actions are the chains that bind them, their walls and bars of their own prison. You say, well, all I see here, Pastor, is a bunch of rules. What do you mean that's, how can you mean set free? God has never called us to something that He has not already experienced or done. Did you know that? Did you know that by this time here, God has already bound Himself to a covenant that began with Abram? In other words, he has bound himself to his words and his promises that Abram, I'm going to make out of you a great nation and out of this nation all the world will be blessed and all of your descendants, although you don't have any now and you don't think you're going to have any because you're like 100 years old and your wife, she's on up there too. Matter of fact, she's already exhausted all of her social security. You don't have no kids now, but I'm going to give you so many children You might as well start counting the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore and maybe that will kind of compare to the descendants I'm going to give you. Now, God binding Himself to a promise like that, it sounds to me very reasonable that if God has already bound Himself to covenants, He can give us something to bind ourselves to as well. He liberated... Israel, despite all their actions. You read, I, we don't have time, I, I had had it marked to do this, but we don't have time. But you look at Exodus chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Exodus chapter 14, 11 and 12. Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, uh, 22 all the way through chapter 16, verse 3. And you'll see how many times Israel got sick and tired of being rescued. They said, Moses, you let us out here to die. Matter of fact, they claimed to Moses one time, he said, well, there are not enough graves in Egypt that we couldn't have just been buried there. Despite their unbelief, God still chose to be favorable to Israel. The Ten Commandments are God's way of keeping us free. Consider what even James says in his epistle, almost at the end of the New Testament, in James chapter 1, (coughs) verses 23 through 25, he refers to the law. He calls it the law of liberty. He says, in that theology, and and, and you would teach it, you said, listen, by these very set of rules, you won't have freedom. How many times you read through the Old Testament, people did what was right in their own eyes, that's what the Bible said. People did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, they were making up their own rules of culture, making up their own rules of morality. And what happened afterwards? Things went from bad to worse. Why the necessity for freedom? Why have something like this to frame our culture and our lives? You see, the Lord had separated Israel from the nations, so yes, that His people would belong to Him. But Yahweh Himself is different from every other god, little G. There's, there's no way that Israel could have served anything else or worshipped anything else and would have been experiencing the blessings and the freedom and the security that God Himself would give. There's no way. would not have happened. Israel would have to practice another style in every dimension of life, a style different from those <clears throat> that she encountered either in Egypt or even among the pagan populations throughout Canaan. Enjoying freedom means living, actually, the antithesis. Did you know that? It means that really to enjoy freedom, to, way, to, to to enjoy what God intended for me to enjoy, I have to put some rules out. Now, now we're used to this. Maybe we don't even realize it, but we're used to this. We deal with our children, do we not? My children love sugar and sweet things. and Their daddy loves sugar and sweet things. Last night, I busted open a cantaloupe, sliced it all up, put it in a bowl, got my fork, getting ready to sit down and watch a little TV on Saturday night. I said, wait a minute. This ain't right. I had to go back into the kitchen. I opened up my pantry. And there sat before me, prettiest sights in my pantry, a bag of sugar. I got it out. Don't laugh because you do it too. You take a little spoon. You sprinkle some of that that white gold. Yeah. You sit down. And you enjoy a piece of heaven right here on earth. Okay. So I love. But there are rules. If I go eating it by the spoonful, it will quickly harm me. Consider your medicines in your medicine cabinet. You take an extra dose that you're not supposed to, or you miss a dose, or whatever you try to do, and it can—what what is intended to be good can actually harm you. Same thing here. God says, I want you to enjoy life. I want you to enjoy the liberty that I'm going to give you. I want you to enjoy the freedom that I promise you through the blood of Jesus. But it doesn't mean that you can live any way you want to, on the other side of salvation, there's some things you must consider. Listen. The same theology, what we see right here in verse 2, we see it all throughout the New Testament. Think about it this way. Romans chapter 12, verse verse 1. Paul says, we offer our bodies as a holy sacrifice. There's, there's something, by the word holy, we mean something separate, something different than the rest of the world. <coughs> Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 4, we were chosen in order that we might live holy and blameless. Ephesians 2:10 that, that he that we were created in Christ Jesus for doing good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. So in other words, God's system of living for us we are, we are really to demonstrate what it really means to live free. We have a church plant in our association called Set Free by the Sea. This past Thursday, I was in a executive committee meeting, and one of their members was was there with us. Set Free is, is a really it's a church plant for those who've had drug and alcohol and substance abuse issues. In other words, those who've hit rock bottom. And you want to look in the face of someone who's truly been set free? You look at one of their church members. They know what it means to truly be free. They know what it's like. You see, Yahweh established a covenant with His people, but if if free people wish to remain free, then each one personally had to understand his or her responsibility. Every social ethic is doomed to failure if it is blind to personal responsibility. Let me say that again. Every social ethic is doomed to failure if it is blind to personal responsibility. So, let me give you three statements, I believe, three. I want you to think about. Uh, No, I want you to respond to them. I want you to take the Word of God this morning. I want you to take these comments, and now my words compare nothing to the Word of God, but... But I just, just, just honor me if you don't mind. If nothing else, just you know, humor me. If nothing else, consider these statements. Number one, I desperately need the freedom offered only by Christ. I want you to think about that statement, Pastor. You saying I'm not saved? No, I, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. I don't know your heart. I know that people can put up a good act for a long time. But eventually that will come to an end. Your sin, as I've already said, it forms the bars and the walls that keep you in your own prison. Christ offers freedom through His sacrifice. He paid the debt that was demanded by your sin. By the way, you, you're not able to honor one command without Christ. Christ. He said, Pastor, I've not killed anybody. So can a sinner, apart from Christ, not kill anybody? That means he's honoring that. Well, well, no. Because if you recall, we just finished up the series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we saw in there that Jesus kind of rewrote the interpretation of what it means about killing people. He says, if you hate someone, that's the same thing as murder. He said, well, they haven't slept around even the lustful thought, and you're guilty of the same. Do you see where I'm going here? You cannot honor this code of ethics apart from Christ. You have to. And you desperately need that freedom. And it only comes from Jesus. Number two, my freedom starts with an unparalleled love for God and others. Your freedom starts with an unparalleled love for God and others. If you... Recall, Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Just pick one, Jesus, and tell us what it is. And say, okay, I'll give you one. Here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Oh, awesome, Jesus. That's a good command. Hold on a second. The second is just like the first one. But we only ask you for one. Hey, I'm talking. (laughs) Here's your second one. You love everybody else just as much as you love yourself. Now, just we me and you, don't tell anybody else. There ought to be a whole lot of loving going on around here with everybody else. We are the most selfish generation and I'm in there with it. And we sure do love ourselves. Jesus says... You take that love and you transfer it to everybody else you come into contact with. That's the great commandment. None of what we call the Ten Commandments will ever be honored unless we have an unparalleled. What I mean by unparalleled? It means you have no rivals in your life. There can be no other rival of love and attention and devotion with your love for God. He won't compete for it, by the way. He'll let you, you know, else? he'll let you love something else. Did you know that? He will let you put something else above him if that's what you want. We see it exemplified here in terms of love for God and love for others. The first four commandments represent that love for God. The remainder of those commandments, numbers five through ten, are expressions of our love for one another. Number three submission to the 10 commandments begins with the spirit of the law not the letter of the law and this is a big one this is where it's going to really affect us throughout this series is because listen the commandments are best understood when we when we consider that each one has implications which extend beyond the specific sin that is mentioned Where one is mentioned, you can have a range of related sins to be covered as well. We'll talk about that as we go through each one. We'll we'll talk about how honoring this can can be done in, in many areas of our lives. And number four, the truth represented by the Ten Commandments will help me enjoy the freedom I have in Christ. You can be free. Are you enjoying it? Have you, ever, have you ever been on vacation before and it just won't vacation? you got so much on your mind, so much on your heart. You're waiting for a phone call, whatever. You know, uh, uh, Bob and I, we're, we're used to that. You go on vacation, brother. You wait for the phone call. you got to go to a funeral, right? You know, you're kind of on edge. But could you imagine that you could be in a position in life where the truth for God's social and cultural standard of ethics could be enjoyed and is only enjoyed by the freedom that Jesus gives us. Let me close with a text of Scripture that you know full well. You you, you could probably recite it if if I gave you maybe the first couple words as a hint. Book of John. John chapter 8. beginning of verse beginning in verse um, 31 so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth said you free they answered him we are offspring of abraham we've never been enslaved to anyone how is it that you can say you'll become free truly i say to you everyone who commits a sin or commits sin is a slave to sin slave does not remain in the house forever the sun remains forever so if the son sets you free you'll be free Indeed. You realize what Jesus is doing here? If, if, if I may just kind of rephrase a few words here. First Baptist Bologna, if you abide in my word, you're you're my disciples. And then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Some of our members said, well... We live in a free country. We have a constitution. We're a constitutional republic. We, we've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean? I can really be free? Jesus told you and I. He says, "I, I ain't talking about. I ain't talking about your founding documents. I'm telling you." That you're already a slave to sin if you do not follow me. I'm telling you, church, that if my son Jesus will set you free, then you are truly free. You gotta surrender to the truth. Forget the impact that we think we ought to have or should have or could have on our country, among our politicians, in Congress? Why should they pay attention to anything we got to say when they can see how we live? Why should they be concerned about our morality when we're living just like they are? When you live, knowing you've been set free in Jesus. God says, I'm going to give you some things. I want you to to make sure you practice. Make sure you honor them. And you'll enjoy that freedom. And not only will you enjoy that freedom, but listen, it'll be a testimony to the nations. Has it ever occurred to you? That that's why all that stuff got started in to begin with. She says, Israel, I need to bring you out of Egypt. And I'm going to draw you to myself. I'm going to covenant with you. And if you thought about this, this is interesting. only reason why I'm going to covenant with you is because this entire planet is full of people who are not free yet. And I'm going to covenant with you because... I'm going to send the final solution for freedom through my son, Jesus. And when he comes, that nation that I, uh, and by the way, that one son came from Egypt too. That's what the Bible says. Out of Egypt, I I have called my son. When I get done with you and my son has paid the price, I'm going to go out to the very nations that enslaved you. And you're going to tell them how they can be set free. Think about it, church. Ten Commandments ain't so much for us, but for a lost and dying world who needs to hear of the Savior who has truly set them free. Let's pray. Father, I pray, dear God, oh, I pray, Lord, that you would Father, just shake us to the core. Father, expose our hardness. Let us know, Father, where we are in relationship with you. Father, teach us and show us, God, help us, Lord, to see where we stand. Father, reveal our hearts to us. Lord, help us to see that your commands to us were not to bind us, but to set us free for your purposes. And God, I pray it for this church. I beg and I plead. Lord, I beg as, as, as only, I can only do, Lord. God, would you rattle the hearts and minds of every person in this room Help us to wake up. Help us to be what you've called us to be. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know, you may be in a prison right now. I don't even know who your first love is. But I am saying to you right now there is hope, there can be a change. You can begin this morning. You can experience revival already, personally, by surrender. Giving it all to Jesus. That's where it begins. I can only ask for you to be responsive to what the Lord is asking you to do this morning. My prayer is you do His will.